Gospel according to John, the invisible made visible. John chapter 15, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, one gospel, four accounts. His name is Jesus. He's the good news. John chapter 15, large numbers. The chapters, smaller numbers are the verses. John chapter 15, verse 17 was where we'll start. These things I command you so that you will love one another. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep, also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I send, whom I will send to you from the Father, Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God, and they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when the hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. May God add a blessing to the reading of his holy word of this morning. So children, you're dismissed for children's church. The rest of us, as they learn the gospel in their proper class settings or appropriate, I should say, uh, we're in John 15. Interesting passage of scripture. And to bring everybody up to speed quickly, we're in Thursday. It's Thursday night. Here in our text, it's Thursday night. Um, Jesus gathered his 12 disciples together to share the Passover meal. It will be his last meal before he's handed over, arrested, beaten, physically scourged, whipped, and then crucified. And rather than go sulk alone somewhere and wait for that day to arrive, he does, Jesus does, what love does. And he cares for those whom he loves. He, he serves his disciples. The upper room discourse, we know, goes from chapter 13 all the way through till chapter 17, where we get to witness Jesus' high priestly prayer. Up to now, this upper room discourse, uh, this teaching, has been dominated by love. He's already stooped down and washed the disciples' feet, even Judas, before he uh, went out into the night and went and uh, betrayed Jesus. He washed their feet. That's something the slaves would do. He's spoken often of the Father's love for him and his love for the Father and how... That same kind of love will then be given to them. They will share in that love of God. He gives them other promises like I'm going to the Father. You can't come with me. I'm going but I'm not going to leave you as orphans. But I will come to you again. And when I come to you I will manifest myself. The Father will manifest himself. And where I am you will be also. He said to them I give you my peace. I give you my joy. I give you my love. Told them to keep 
the commandments and abide in the love of God. That you will do greater works, greater in quantity because the Holy Spirit will be given and the entire church will be filled with the Spirit and do the works and spread the words of Jesus so that God gets glory. Last week we reminded that, that, because God, that, that it's because of God's love, God's love has been poured out on us through the gospel. We are commanded to then love one another. That that the command to love flows from God's already love for us. We don't work for God's love. He first loved us, the Bible tells us. That that this fruit of love and and the fruit that that we we produce and that we show the love of others is not the, the root of the relationship, but the fruit of it. So as we abide in Christ, we bear fruit because of God's already grace and kindness that he's shown to us in the gospel. The fruit of love and prayer and witness, love of the word, we said is proof, evidence of the grace of God in our life. God's genuine children who abide in Christ will show itself, will prove itself by producing fruit, by being productive. John 15, 8. Jesus said, I'm the true vine. You are the branches. Abide in me and I in you and you will bear much fruit. Jesus said last week that he'll no longer only call us slaves. For slaves don't know what the master is doing, but I call you friends. There's an intimacy of abiding in the vine with Christ. There's an intimacy, he said in chapter 15, verse 16, that we have been chosen and therefore appointed to go and bear much fruit, declaring and demonstrating the gospel. Verse 16 of chapter 15. I appointed you that you should go and bear much fruit. I think it's a, a prequel of Matthew 28. When he, before his ascension, he says, go into all the world and as you are going, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them, and I will be with you. Comforting words, words of love, words of promises, words of care. Trust in me. Trust also in, in God. Trust also in me. But now everything changes. In chapter 15, verse 17 we read about love, yet chapter 8, uh, excuse me, the next verse in chapter 15, verse 18, things radically change. And now we're introduced to the word called hatred. Hatred. I want you to feel that. Love one another, the world will hate you. So what we're going to do this morning is covered on the four headings. The first one is the hatred that's concerning Christ. The things that Christ has done, has been given to us, and the world will hate us. The things concerning Christ. Also, uh, the hatred connected to ministry. Hatred conquered by the Holy Spirit. How we are to live and press on. And finally, hatred causing separation and death. That's what the text is about. As we do expository preaching, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through books of the Bible, this is what we deal with. It's important that we have the whole counsel of God. So number one, the hatred concerning Christ. Verse 17, these things I command you so that you will love one another. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Let let, let me just stop there and clarify a couple of things. Number one, the reason Jesus kept telling them, or one of the reasons Jesus kept telling them here in this upper room, love one another, love one another, love one another, is because there's going to be a hatred coming, and he wants us to love one another and strengthen one another in the context of being loved. So if we're loving one another, and we know hatred is coming, we can encourage each other. If, there's some, if hatred is something you look forward to, something that you are going about trying to get, we should probably sit and talk. 
I did know someone who loved that in my, in my uh, pr- previous job in corrections, that someone who just loved to instigate and get people to hate him. I don't know why, but he did. If you feel loved and valued while being hated, we'll talk. But what he's saying here is, as you love one another, be prepared that hate is coming. Number two, the word if in chapter uh, 15, verse 18, if the world hates you, does not mean what our English word means as uncertainty, if, just in case it might happen. In the Greek construction, it means fact or as something that is existing already. So if can be translated, I don't know why Bible translators do this, but if can be translated since or because. Since the world hates you, because the world hates you, know that it's been hating me. In other words, it's coming. It's not an if. It's not maybe. And so the family of God, as we, as we need each other and love each other, and because we're faithful to Christ, there's going to be some hatred coming our way at some level, one level or another. We're going to get into that a little more today and a little more as the weeks to come. But let me just, let me just say that there's a hatred, since we're talking about hatred, there's a hatred that has nothing to do with our relationship or with Christ living in us. There's a hatred that maybe people feel toward us that has nothing to do with Christ. That's not what he's talking about. And on the flip side of that, too many times, we're going through life and, and, and going with the stream and not being persecuted, not being hated, because we are not standing up for the gospel and that we're not standing up for Christ. So, so we should expect hatred, but loving each other is one of the ways that we're able to press in, move on, keep on mission for the sake of Jesus, even in the midst of being hated. The third thing I want to mention quickly here is, I know you're thinking there's nothing quick, but cosmos is the word world that John uses. Cosmos, that's the Greek word for the word world. Now, the word world, cosmos, is used in many different ways in the New Testament. Depending on its context, it depends on what the word means. The word world, cosmos, could mean the physical universe, the nature itself, the world. It could mean the realm where people live, the world where people live. It can mean also, depending on the context, sinful humanity. We saw that in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. You remember the context as we were studying that book, and we were in chapter 3, the world in that sense is, is that hell-bound rebellious sinners who are separated from God, running toward hell, wanting to be separated from him, yet God sent his son into the world and loved them anyway. Sinful, unregenerated humanity, world. But by the time we get to chapter 7, Jesus is talking with his brothers, and he's in Galilee, north of Jerusalem, and he says, his brothers say to Jesus, let's go down to Jerusalem so that we can celebrate the Feast of Booths, or the Feast of Tabernacle. Jesus says to them this, chapter 7, verse 6, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. I'm not going right now. The world, cosmos, cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify about it that its works are evil. The world's works are evil. It's not the material world. It's not like that tree is evil. It's not the realm in which people live. The world Jesus is talking about that will hate us is not first the people, but the systems, the belief systems that are anti-God, anti-truth, and governed by our enemy, the devil. First John 5, same author John writes in his epistle, we know that we are from God and the whole world, cosmos, lies in the power of the evil one. 
The world refers to this organized system under Satan's domain that is opposed to God, his rightful king, Jesus Christ. We're told in the epistle of John as well, do not love the world. Don't love the system, don't love the beliefs. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him, and the love of the world's love will fade away. James says friendship with the world is hostility. Interesting. Friendship with the world is hostility, that hatred toward God. So we're foreigners in this world, not part of the world. We're not loving the world, and we're not friends of the world. For all that is in the world, John says, is about the desires of the flesh. The flesh, the sinful cravings. That's what the world's about. The world's about the desires of the eyes, that which you see incites something you want, and you will covet until you get it. Or the pride of life. Look how great I am. I don't need God. That's worldliness. All that there is is all there is, and everything I can get, I can get. It's not from the Father, but is of the world, John tells us. So the world is, is that which the, the, the systems and the beliefs and the thoughts and the acts and the, and the, and the uh, thinking is contrary and opposition to God. And again, it's called worldliness. It's not wearing jeans. It's not cultural, always cultural expression, although there's some, we'll get to that, we get to John 17. But it's a whole system. All there is is all there is. And whoever gets the most toys wins. And all the things that this world is about is in opposition to God. Our text again, verse 19. If you were of the world, if that's the way you were thinking, that's what you wanted, the world would love you. Why? Because you're doing everything the world wants. But because you are not of the world, I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. So you've been chosen. So not only you've been chosen unto eternal life, he said you've been chosen and appointed to bear much fruit, and now welcome to discipleship, you've been chosen to be hated. That's what he says. So here's the first application, and it comes by the way of a question. Has the gospel, the kingdom of God, come into your life? Has the gospel radically changed you so that you are seeing clearer and more clear every day that this world is passing and the worldly system is not of God? Are you seeing that? Are, are, are you seeing as each year passes that you're being less attracted to what this world offers that's passing away, that's under dominion of, of the enemy? Are, are you becoming less attractive to this kingdom, to this world, and more excited about the coming kingdom when your own sin will be put away and the sins of the world will be done? And King Jesus will reign in righteousness. You know, one of the things that I'm reminded of when I, when I read the newspaper and watch the news, and you can't help but see all the killing and everything going on, is reminding myself that someday, me, that's part of the problem, my sin will be done away with. Always remember, even in the midst of hostility and what's going on in the world, we're part of the problem, and that's why Jesus had to come, Okay? One of the other things that we, I think we consider is, as I mentioned earlier, are we being hated for the right reasons? Are we being hated because of our unwavering love and devotion to Christ above all things? Or at times can we be so arrogant and selfish and <laughs> doing all kinds of silly and stupid things that we're hated for other reasons? Don't raise your hand. Dr. Keller, in his, uh, one of his sermons, 
talked about a biography that he read by C. Everett Koop. You probably, many of you know him. He was a certain general evangelical Christian. And because he was a Christian and wanted to do what the Bible wanted him to do, he was promoted by the conservatives under Ronald Reagan to be the um, certain general because he was their champion because he was anti-abortion, as the scriptures teach. He was pro-life. He was anti-abortion, right? So he became their, their, their guy. In fact, the other side of the aisle uh, had this... this, this uh, attack against him that he was unqualified. The New York Times had an er- editorial called Dr. Unqualified. He was one of the most le- greatest leading pediatrics at the time, surgeon in the country, but he was unqualified. But what was interesting was halfway through his administration, he felt that the administration was covering up the AIDS epidemic. And because he was a Christian, he believed it needed to be exposed. They needed to, do some fu- they needed to have some funds. They needed to do some research and then the other side started shooting arrows at him. Everybody seemed to get upset. Then the right was saying he has a man of no integrity. But when everything was said and done, his time was done, he was, he was looking to get on the cabinet, and somebody came up to him and said, you know what? He said, you can forget about a cabinet position. You can forget about any more political appointments. You're too independent. Hmm, getting shot from both sides. You see, when we're governed by Christ... And we don't bow our knee to this world's systems and beliefs and, and no matter what the media and everyone's telling us, but we put the systems, oh, excuse me, I should say, the kingdom of Christ first, the world's going to hate us. And when that happens, we're, we're hated for Christ's sake. We'll do what the gospel tells us to do. Left, right, shot on both sides. And of course, you know, if you go to the street and you say, do you hate Christ? Most people say no. Some will say yes, but most people say no. Are you walking in the ways of the evil system and the demons? And some will say no. Do you love Christ? No. He's a, you know, he's a good moral teacher. He's all those things that are wonderful. Family, I'm, I'm going to tell you the truth. Matthew chapter 12, Jesus makes it very clear. And you need to hear this in love. He who is not with me is against me. No gray matter. No gray area, I should say. He who is not with me is against me. Either you love Jesus, love the Father, submit to his will, his word, his kingdom, or you are in opposition of him. There's no straddling. So the question becomes, are you a follower of Christ? Will you stand up for the kingdom of God? Will you stand in the midst of opposition and hatred even though you may not get your next promotion? Maybe you will stand up for the gospel over your company. Political party, your sex life, your finances, your power, your position. The one who defines you is not this worldly system. The one who defines you as a believer is Christ. Not the values and the goods of this world, but only in Christ alone. Chapter 15, verse 28, as we continue, it says, Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. We did the study of the book of Acts a couple of years ago. We could see the Holy Spirit coming as Jesus promised in Pentecost chapter 2. By chapter 4, they're in jail, the apostles. Chapter 5, they're in jail. Chapter 6, chapter 7, Stephen's murdered, stoned to death. Chapter 12, James is killed. Chapter 9, after, after Paul, the apostle, who was used to be Saul, persecuting, killing Christians, he's on the run because everybody's trying to kill him too. Persecution, persecution, persecution. As people are abiding in Christ, bearing fruit, looking more like Jesus, sharing the gospel, being a witness. And then everybody's like, yo, that's what Jesus used to do. We hated him, and now we hate you too as well. I mean, 
But he said, listen, I told you this is going to happen. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecute me, they'll persecute you too. He said that back in the earlier, earlier in the upper room discourse. If those who follow Jesus were to abide in the world rather than in Christ, the world would embrace them. But when we take a stance for the gospel, people will not like us. We've been chosen for that. Hatred concerning Christ. But, but why? Look at verse 20 B with me. Hatred connected to ministry. Verse 20 B. If they kept my word, they will keep yours. But all these things will do to you on account of my name. Why? Because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoke to them, they would have not been guilty of sin, but now they are without excuse for their sin. In other words, I came, I spoke, they're not, they're, there's no excuse. Uh, they don't know me, they don't know the Father, and now they're, they're guilty of their sin. Verse 23, whoever hates me hates my Father. If I had not done among them what? The works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But they have seen and hated both me and my father. There it is again. Because they do not know me, verse 21, or him who sent me, in verse 24, they have neither seen me or hated both me and my father because of the works. They have the word and the works. They have guilty of sin. Look, the works that I do, that they would not be guilty of sin. But they have not seen, excuse me, but now they have seen and hated both me and my father. Verse 25, but the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. Okay, so I spoke, they don't know, they, they, the Father sent me and, and I'm with the Father and he rejected that and now I spoke and they don't want to hear it, their sin remains, they're guilty of sin, I've done my works, I've come and they still refuse to believe that I am in the Father, they hate me and my Father and their guilt is remaining. What Jesus is talking about, this sin and what Jesus is talking about is obviously the guilt and sin, excuse me, of unbelief, of unbelief, the guilt of uh, sin of unbelief. Dr. Carson, New Testament scholar, writes this. The idea is not that if Jesus had not come to the people, they would, not have, they would have continued in sinless perfection. That's not the case. As if the coming of Jesus introduced them for the first time of sin and guilt. Rather, he says, by coming and speaking to them, Jesus incited the most central and controlling of sins. Rejection of God's gracious revelation, the unveiling of God in Jesus Christ. Rejection of God's gracious revelation. Rebellion against God. Decisive preference for darkness rather than the light, end quote. If you hear the gospel, and you're hearing the gospel, you're hearing the gospel, you're hearing the gospel, you're seeing the work of God, you're seeing the love of God, you're seeing all that, you're not guilty. I mean, you're, you're guilty of that sin of unbelief. Come to Jesus. That's what he's saying, come to Jesus. Jesus, his coming and his miracles increase the responsibility and guilt when they don't submit to him as Savior and Lord. Don't leave here today without submitting to Jesus as Savior and Lord. That's what he's saying. Because if they hated Jesus, they hate the Father. They hate the Father, they hate Jesus. You can't have one without the other. One God. We're monotheistic. One God revealed in three persons. Father, Son, and Spirit, as, as Ricky had mentioned. And the words and the work of Christ stood against them. That's why they hated him. In fact, he goes back to the law. He says in Psalm 69, it says, they hated me without cause. So what we can look forward to as children of God as well as we're doing ministry as well, in word and works, there'll be those who will hate us. First in word. As believers in Jesus Christ, and especially the leaders here at King's Chapel, 
and all those who are members of King Chapels believe this is the final source of authority of faith and practice. The final source of truth and authority is the word of God. And now it's under attack. If you're older like me and you're from a postmodern culture, there was one truth and we battled about what was true. Now in our postmodern culture, truth is relevant. Your truth is no truer than my truth. And when we stand upon the truth of God's word, they say, you know what, you're narrow-minded. It's really a power play. Truth is that which recognizes what reality already is. We just recognize truth as, as God being the source of truth. So whether you believe it or not, biblical truth is not, uh, is not only just knowing the truth, and that it is that, but it's the truth that knows you. It is not based on human reason, scientific knowledge, or even multiple truth that we conjure up. Truth is the revelation of God who is truth. By God to the human heart, to the human mind, we don't change truth. Truth changes us. His name is Jesus. We don't define truth by human reason. We, we, we know truth through divine revelation. Otherwise, we'd be totally on our own selves, wandering around, making up a God of our own mind, which is really just us. But we have divine truth. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Now, I want to, again, a word of caution has been studying. It doesn't mean that we have the truth and we can go around using words so that people hate us. (laughs) Like, every chance we get, whether it's a self-righteous attitude or a self, uh, acts of selfishness, we, we butt in when we're, not, when we're not asked to, and we want to speak the truth, and everyone just hates us. No, you're really just being an idiot, really. Um, you're, you're just being arrogant and pompous. We are sp- supposed to speak the truth how, family? In love. Speak the truth in love. The old saying is very, very, very true. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Again, I think it's why it's so important to recognize that we are to love people. We've been talking about this for weeks. Love people. Even though the world is in opposition and people in the world who bought into the systems are in opposition, we are called to love people. And on the flip side of that, maybe we're shrinking back from speaking the truth in love because we fear of, of hatred, we fear of discourse, discord, we fear of being persecuted. No, we're separate from the world. We're, we're, we're separate from the world. We are to abide in the vine. You say, well, well, okay, where's the balance in all that? Hated, and we're gonna talk more in the next weeks, but let me just give you this, two simple things. Love, humility. You remember that? Love people and be humble. We weren't chosen out of the world because you are so nice and kind and God just said, look at that nice person. That's not true. You've been chosen out of the world by grace and grace alone. And when we lovingly stand on the teaching commands and the word of Christ and we are hated, we can be assured that we're standing with Christ. And not only will they hate you for the stance you take on the word of God, but because of the works themselves. Jesus performed many miracles revealing to thousands of who he says he was as the eternal son of God. God come in the flesh is the only one that can walk on water, raise the dead. And if you think about his miracle, I mentioned this at the first service, it wasn't like he said, watch this miracle, I'm gonna blow up that city. I have nothing to do today. So I'm just gonna kill, you know, he healed the sick, 
gave sight to the blind man. How do you think he felt? He took thousands upon a mountainside who were hungry and fed them. He brought back Lazarus from death and gave him back to his family. They were deeds of love and mercy. And you know what? They hated him even more. You know, sometimes it's just you and I saying no to certain things. Sometimes it's just as simple as your life. The deeds and the things that you do expose darkness. Light comes, people run. And if you love God, you will find that there are certain people that just won't like you. Not because you have done anything to them, but just your existence is a condemnation on their conduct. Just the way the the things you do is assault on their person. Again, again, please, we need to be careful that they they are uncomfortable and offended not by our stupidity, but by the gospel. I love 1 Peter. I was thinking about this this morning. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. Keep your conduct, the things you do, among the Gentiles, non-believers, honorable, so when they speak against you as evildoers, haters, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. Yeah, people, some people don't want you to love them. And it's okay to love them anyway, even though they hate you for it. You just love them, care for them, pray for them. And they may, you know, it doesn't mean we go around looking for someone, you know, to love so they can hate me. We're not picking fights and being mean. You know what I mean? But I, I just, it, it's just, we love them and they hate us. We're not declaring war on them. But sometimes when you love people and you care for people and you serve people, they hate you all the more. Expect it. We get to chapter 6 and 7, Stephen, in his, when he gets martyred, he's preaching the gospel, and he's pretty strong in his gospel appeal. But as they're stoning him to death, what does he say? Good, get him. No, he doesn't. I would. He says, God, forgive them. Not God, get him. God, forgive them. Forgive them. So let love, love, love in our hearts, the, the words that reflect love, the truth that comes out of our mouth, coupled with deeds of love that express the gospel, be the reason why we're hated, okay? Let's be clear. We should not be a source of offense. We should not be the source of offense by being insensitive, rude, and obnoxious. We need to live with wisdom and grace and sensitivity toward others. We need to be honest and say in love that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And when you're hated for being intolerant because that's what you believe, expect it, Relationships may terminate when you make it clear by the loving deeds that you do that God has absolute moral standards. Our culture is going the wrong way. When you do things in love and humility and say, and they say, you're judging me, expect it. As you go along loving God and we're faced with choices, honor God. And yet others, and, and just don't compromise. Don't compromise for money, for the loss of money, or family or friends. Stand on the truth, love, and humility. Stand with Christ. Matthew 5.11, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil things against you because of your, an idiot. No, because of me. Because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Hatred connected to ministry. And look at the promise here in verse 26. But, you're going to be hated, you're going to be hated, you're going to be hated. Your words and deeds, just like me. But, 
when the helper comes, whom I will send from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will what? Bear witness about me. So not only, family, listen, not only are we loving each other, encouraging each other, while we're being persecuted and hated for the gospel's sake, but God promises to come in you as the helper. He will send from the Father, the Spirit of the truth. He will come and he will bear witness. You see that? He will bear witness about me. He is dwelling within you. He will encourage and strengthen you. He will empower you not only for the mission, but opposition. The Holy Spirit comes. He will not only empower us for mission, but for opposition. That's the context. Jesus used again the masculine pronoun, he, describing the Holy Spirit. He's not a mere force, the wind. He's the third person of the triune God. A mere force can't testify the truth. But the fact here is that the Spirit proceeds from the Father, sent by Jesus, who himself was sent by the Father, shows us and implies to us the deity and the distinctiveness of the three persons of the Trinity, not ontologically, but missionally. The Father sends the Son who dies on a cross. The Son don't send the Father. The Father sends the Son who dies on the cross, and the Father and the Son send the Spirit. One God, creator, sustainer of the universe, Three persons on a rescue mission to save us from sin. The word helper we know is the Greek word uh, um, parakletos, to call alongside. We get the word advocate, encourager. It has legal uh, advice, legal counselor overtones. Someone who's alongside you, he speaks for you, he stands up for you. He's courageous and speaks the truth. He's a substitute, he's a representative. And while you're being hated for the gospel, sake and Jesus sake you have this presence of God strengthening and encouraging you living within you dwelling within you taking residence in you to be the witness look what it says the spirit of truth will bear witness all right so we can conclude and we're going to talk more about this next week that it's good and right to conclude that the world's opposition listen the world's opposition takes root in who Jesus is the spirit of truth look at that verse Who will bear witness about who? Me, Jesus says. The question is, again, as we've been seeing all throughout the Gospel of John, who is Jesus? That's the work of the witness of the Spirit. He is is the Son of God. He is God come down in the flesh. He has dwelt among us. He had died on the cross. He rose from the dead. He's the only way to salvation. He is the Spirit of truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. The spirit of truth. Jesus says, I am the truth. Jeremiah says, the Lord is the true God. Psalm 31, you have ransomed me, O Lord, God of truth. The spirit is the truth. The son is the truth. The father is the truth. And everything they say and produce is true. Christianity, the coming of Christ, the giving of his word, gives us the answers we need, the true answers we are looking for to describe to us who is this God who created us. The Bible tells us. What has sin done to man? The Bible tells us. The scriptures tell us the truth about eternity, creation, hell, heaven, truth about death, truth about eternal life. Our enemy Satan is called the father of lies. He's the one who's dominating this world kingdom, him and his demons, and they are at war with God. They're in opposition to God. They're opposition to the Christ the Messiah. They're in opposition to the Holy Spirit and they're at war with the gospel and therefore we are people of the book. They're in opposition with us. 
family, we stand on the truth of the gospel. We're people of the book. Verse 37. And you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. He's telling his disciples, you guys have been walking with me for three years. You will, you will bear witness. You've been with me from the beginning. And then Jesus says on his ascension that everyone will be empowered. Acts 1.8. The Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll be my witness. You'll be my witness. You'll be declaring who I am and what I've done. My person and my work in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the whole world. Glenmont, New York. So here's another application by question. Could it be, don't raise your hand, could it be, maybe, just maybe, the absence of persecution may indicate that something has gone astray? I mean, dead fish move with the tide. Only live fish swim against the stream. Are there times in your life, and not every day, but are there times, have you remember time in your life, you've been a believer, Are there times in your life where you are all of a sudden looking up to heaven and asking God within, the Spirit of God dwelling within you, that you need the words and the power right now because you're faced with a crossroad? You could go the easy way. I want to say left and right, but everybody will think I'm being political. You can go the easy way, whatever way you want. No persecution, no hatred. I don't really want to stand up for the gospel and go that way. Or I can go this way and in love stand up for the truth of Christ and lovingly and humbly stand up for the gospel's sake. If, if you never get to that crossroad ever, you really got to ask, am I swimming against the tide or with the tide? Now, if that happens 10 times a day, we should talk. But there comes a time in our lives, family and friends, that we meet that crossroad. And that we need the power and and the precision and the truth of the Spirit dwelling within us as we walk in the truth of the gospel. The world hates us. The world is hostile. The world persecutes. And therefore, we need the conquering power of the Holy Spirit to testify the truth of the gospel, the work and the person of Jesus Christ. It was Martin Luther, the great reformer, who stood at the Diet of Worms, a city of worms, diet meaning assembly, in April of 1521 facing excommunication and possible death for standing up for the truth of the gospel. He said this, Since your majesty and your lordships desire a simple reply, they want to know, are these your books? Will you recount them? They were on a desk in front of him. He said, I will answer without horns or teeth unless I am convinced by spirit, by the scripture, excuse me, unless I am convinced by scripture, And by plain reason, I do not believe in the authority of the popes or councils. It is plain that they have erred and contradicted each other. And and those scriptures that I have presented for my conscience is captive by the word of God. I know the spirit of God was empowering him. He says, I cannot and will not recant anything. For to go against my conscience is neither right nor safe. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. Amen. But isn't that the most loving thing we can do? And sometimes you've got to be bold like that. But sometimes in love, you say, God rescued me from where you're headed. I, 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 I've been down that road. And God has rescued me. And I, I'm, I'm warning you. I'm telling you. And I'm standing up for the truth of gospel. I've, di- I've done that. And we call out to people in love and truth. And we give witness as we declare the gospel. And God gives us opportunities to share and that's when, listen, we need brothers and sisters to, to encourage us, to love us, to love one another in the midst of that. We need the Spirit of God 
strengthening us and giving us boldness, yet lovingly and humbly recognizing our need of him. We realize that Jesus called us in and he, and he rescues us and he saves us by grace and he sends us out to be a testimony and a witness. And when that's our purpose, we can have hope, we can have strength. You did not choose me, I chose you. He said, love one another. Verse 19, you do not belong to the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. Jesus saying, listen, the love that I have for you and the love you have for me, this, this love that we have each other is gonna cause hostility because the world doesn't know this love. I'm sending you out in love, into that hostility, because they don't know the love I have for you, and therefore they're rejecting you. And, and, but you know what? When it was in my time of great need and great hour, you fell asleep. When I cried out, my father, my father, take this cup from me, the wrath he was going to take, you fell asleep, but I loved you anyway. When I was on the cross, I was all alone, dying for your sins and bearing the wrath you deserve. I was all alone, and I loved you anyway. And the Bible says he died for our sins while we were yet sinners. But when you are come under attack, I will be with you. I, I will strengthen you. I, I, I will come to you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Testify about me. Your names are written in heaven. Your true citizenship is in glory. Your inheritance is secure. Your eternal safety is kept by the power of God. I've engraved you on my hands. The conquering power of the Holy Spirit. And finally, hatred causing separation and death. Tough verses. Remember, chapters and verses were not in the Bible until 500 years ago. So this is just one letter, one book, right? So just roll right into it. 15N, 16N. I have said these things to you to keep you from what? Falling away. He warns about falling away before he warns about death. Before he tells you you're going to be put out and you're going to be put to death, he's warning you and telling you, I don't want you to fall away, man. I, I want you to know these things. When they come, I don't want you to be in the dark. It's coming. I don't want you to be in surprise. I want you to be overtaken by this hatred and persecution. It's reminiscent of Jesus saying the sower goes out to sow a seed. And, and one of the, one of, as the seed is going out, it's the word of God. And falls into the ground. There's soil, he says, one kind of soil where the people hear the gospel and rejoice. And they receive it with joy, yet has no root in himself. And endures just for a little bit until tribulation and persecution comes on account of the word. And they fall away. Don't be that one. We are foretold and forewarned. Look at the outcome. They will put you out of the synagogues. It's not going to another church down the street. It's not changing denominations. When he says, I'll put you out of synagogues, not in that day. Not in that day. In that day, when they put you out of the synagogue, listen, your excommunication meant no spiritual life. No worship, no sacrifice, no reading of scriptures. People didn't have Bibles sitting around their house back then. You went to the temple to hear the word of God. No worship, no scriptures, Economically, if you had a business, it's going to be hurting. You can go out of business. If you work for someone, you may lose your job. Friends would turn their back on you. You would even lose an honorable burial place. Excommunication from the synagogue. Serious stuff. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you thinks he's offering service to God. We see that all today. The reality, you know, the, the, the truth is, it comes from within. It's, it's people who are spiritual. Putting people to death of the true church. Some rabbinic authorities back in the day held that, held, listen, some rabbinic authorities held that slaying heretics was an act of divine worship. There were stories in the Reformation where people were being crucified, excuse me, burned alive and there were sermons going on at the same place. 
One can only wonder if they're thinking, Paul, like in a few months from now, you know, a few years from now, Paul is killing people, and yet he is what? <laughs> he, he's putting people to death, he's persecuting, and then he becomes a follower of Jesus Christ. But remember what Matthew told us. Jesus speaks in Matthew 10. Do not think I've come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against his mom, a daughter-in-law against mom-in-law, and person's enemies will be in their own household. Don't be shocked. In the early years, the apostles were put to death by Jewish authorities. Rome, we know, in the third and fourth century were killing people regularly. Persecution filled the Middle Ages, peaking at the Reformation. I don't know if you know this, but this year, 2017, is the 500-year anniversary of the Reformation. 500 year, in 1517, October 31st, a monk, a Catholic priest named Martin Luther, in Wittenberg, Germany, on a castle door, nailed 95 theses against the church in protest, Protestant protest, of the despicable and sinful indulgences being sold by the Pope and the Catholic Church. And persecution broke out, and men were standing up for the truth of the gospel and were being murdered. It was filled with religious persecution. Many people risked their own life for the truth of the gospel, and many people gave their life so that you're sitting here today with the Bible knowing that it's by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone, for the glory of God alone, that you are saved. 500 years. We're going to show a movie next month called Luther, and then Pastor Ricky's going to introduce some Reformation songs that were sung in those days. We're going to do a series this fall on the importance of the Reformation and highlighting how important it was. Maybe the five solas. Uh, we don't really know yet, but we're going to be talking about that because people think they're doing a service to God, whether it's radical Islam in the name of Allah or other church crazy people throughout the centuries thinking they're offering God and killing people in the name of Jesus. Why? Look at verse 3. They do these things because they have not known the Father, nor me. See the connection? There's always that connection. You want to know God, you've got to know Jesus. It's been a constant theme. Unbelief, hatred, rejection of Jesus Christ is a clear, ind- in, a clear indication of unbelief and hatred and rejection of God the Creator, the only true God. The only way to know God is to be known through the revelation of His Son, to be ignorant of the Son, to be ignorant of the Father. Verse 4, as we close. I said these things to you. The hour is going to come. You may remember that I told you that. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. Now I'm not with you. I am leaving you. Now you're going to go on mission. But let me, let me ask this final question. How do we continue? How does the church continue to live on mission, serving people, loving people in the midst of being hated? Good question. The gospel. Romans 8, 7 tells us that left to ourselves, there's a word for you, we're at enmity with God. Enmity means hatred. It means, it means animosity. We're at enmity with God. Pastor and, and, and uh, uh, theologian, Puritan pastor John Owen said, despite the fact that God is love, infinitely and eternally so, and that he is excellent and desirable of desirable above all things, we carry this enmity, hostility, hatred against them all the days of our lives. In fact, Romans says that our hostility has become, we have become an enemy of God. Not only have enmity, hatred, hostility toward God, but enemies of God because of our sin. But the good news is Ephesians. 
But now in Christ, he has brought you who were once far off near by the blood of Christ. He himself is our peace who has made us both Jew and Gentile and broken down the wall of the body, of the flesh, dividing the wall of hostility. How? Reconciling us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. If you don't get anything, get this. Enmity, hatred, and hostility needs to be conquered. Enemies need to be reconciled. And the gospel is he reconciles enemies and he conquers our hostility in love by the gospel. You are an enemy of God. You had enmity with God. And yet God wooed you, drew you, saved you by grace and mercy and love. So in the midst of that persecution, remember what God has done in your life. Titus 3. While we were hating others and hating each other and hating, 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 but... When the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, as if we could earn it, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. How can we love in the midst of hatred? Remember the cross. Remember the gospel that saved you. And press on. Be mindful, he already told us. Father, it, it is so difficult, Lord. I, 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 we want to just thank you that you have given us each other, that we can lean on each other, encourage one another in the gospel so that when persecution does come, Lord, we can love each other and encourage one another. Father, thank you for the Holy Spirit who, who's, who's dwelling within us and encouraging us and strengthening us. Father, we pray that we would look to you. And Father, that we would be hated for the right reasons, for the gospel. Because we love Jesus, we love his word. Help us to be humble always. Help us to love always. But help us, Lord, to stand in the truth of the gospel so that people can come to know you and love you and have their sins forgiven by you. We ask all this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.